Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Welcome to the program. We have Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, with us today, and he's taking us on a tour. He recently came back from Europe, and he's been telling us some of the things he saw and some of the things that we need to know from the sites that he saw. We went to Rome. We went to where the Huguenots were hiding out in the caves and and how uh, church history took its little turns and twists and persecution happened, then it stopped, and it started again. Interesting stuff. Now, Lincoln, I know you have more to tell us, so I'm just going to leave the floor open for you. What else did you see in this tour, and what do we need to learn from them? Well, one of the enduring memories that I think all of us will have was the second uh, Sabbath, the, the, the seventh day, uh, the Ten Commandments tell us to worship and join with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says, forsake not the joining of yourselves together. Yeah. So we took opportunity on our two Saturdays, the seventh day, to to uh, meet with fellow believers. The first week in Rome, it was at a regular church, Romanians, by the way. And if you study history, the Romanians are actually ethnically closer to the original Romans. <laughs> huh. It was called Romania. Yeah, Romania it was the yeah. uh, oh, okay. cultural center in some ways of the Roman civilization. But uh, the second uh, Sabbath was more evocative and memorable, I think, because we drove into the uh, hills not too far from Montpellier, France, to near the Museum of the Desert, it's called. So it was only about uh, 100 yards from where we actually had a church service. There was a museum to uh, remember the commissars or the early Huguenots and how they uh, struggled for their faith. And, and, you know, there's a little crossover on some of these activities. The commissars were actual active resistance fighters for their faith and for their local autonomy. But there was a strong religious component in this, and the museum presented it very well. So we were down the hill from there in a a beautiful uh, tree-covered glade with about 100 local Seventh-day Adventists from that part of France. Mm -hmm. They gave us a a wonderful meal out under the trees afterwards. But for the church service, they had a a high lectern of the sort you'd find in a church. Maybe some of our listeners have seen in the old-style churches. There'd be this perch, sometimes like 10, 15 foot up on the side of a church, a little... uh, guardrail-type box where someone would stand high up and preach. Well, he was a portable version of that, <laughs> maybe uh, six or eight foot tall. And Dr. John Gratz, the General Conference Religious Liberty Leader, was a translator for Elder Worry, uh, one of our uh, vice president of the General Conference, was a president of one of the African divisions, and he preached a powerful sermon. It was, instead of, he says, don't ask why... Ask, why not? Mm, (laughs) And I like that that dynamic. And, of course, that's what inspired many of the religious pioneers during the Reformation and pre-Reformation days. So that that was just wonderfully evocative of what happened hundreds of years ago in that exact same area where people had met semi-secretly and little bands of people to study the Word and to sing hymns together, even though armies were foraging often not many miles away looking for them. Mm. The incident that really hit home for me was, again, not too far from Montpellier. We went to 
a walled city, a medieval walled city, where there was a large tower. You could see it from a distance, very uh, distinctive round tower with a peak on it, and it was called the Tower of Constance. And it's one of the great stories of that era, that a Huguenot young woman named Marie Durand was imprisoned there. Initially, they captured her just as a hostage because they wanted, her brother was a wanted resistance fighter for his faith, and they thought that by imprisoning her, he would exchange himself for her. Well, he didn't, and they caught and killed him shortly thereafter, but curiously, they kept Marie there in that prison for 38 years. My, my. And we visited the prison. You go inside, and I'd say it was perhaps 30 foot across the round room where all the prisoners were kept, and there was a fireplace at one side that they cooked food, and not really windows, and there was a walkway higher up in the dome where the guards prowled around and looked down at them, but they'd pretty much thrown the prisoners in to fend for themselves. She was there 38 years, grew from a teenage girl to, uh, uh, in those days, certainly an elderly woman. I've seen paintings of her in her old age, and she didn't look well-treated by the years. But she kept her faith, and there's an amazing testament to her time of imprisonment, during which she became known as a person that helped other people. That you know, Her spirit stayed very strong. But in the middle of that room, near a sort of a, a vent shaft, and there's a round perimeter on it, in the stone, is carved very clearly, and it's under glass now, but it's still part of the floor. You can see the word resist. Mm. She had carved that, goodness knows with what, maybe a, a spoon or something from cooking, but over many months, I'm sure, deeply carved into the stone, the word resist. And I can't think of a better or a summary for the necessary fortitude that a person of faith needs in whatever system, whether it was a system that back then that would actually literally kill you, or in our Western world, a system that will, will just quench your faith and treat you as a... As a you know, as a social pariah or someone who's out of their their ear, and you know, needs to get with the real world. We need to resist these forces that come against our faith and cling to the surety that comes from, in the case of a Christian, certainly reading God's word and seeing the promises and the and the very clear word of God that should rule our life, not what someone else says or even what some priest or, or religious leader says. Just because they say it, it has to be proven by the Word and by experience. That is incredible. The word resist put right there by by a prisoner for 38 years in that one room. Amazing. Now, young people today, how do the young people of this world accept what you're saying? Was there any indication there in Europe that they have an interest in this at all? Well, the whole world is becoming a world of young people. And yes. Sorry to say, Charles, you and I are on I the wrong know, side of that divide. <laughs> we used to be uh, young. Like I'm in that. the era where, where even the airline pilots scare me. It's like, when did they let them out of high school? <laughs> I mean, I'm not ancient, but I'm old enough to notice that phenomenon. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, you know, there is a challenge everywhere to inspire young people. But in that same area, when, when we've seen the story of Marie Durand, on that Sabbath, after the uh, meeting with our, our fellow French believers out under the trees, as the bus left, they lined the very narrow roadway out of the, the valley. It was really just a precipitous path up to the main highway. They lined it, waved us goodbye. And then the young people, and there were more than a handful of young people and a number of young women, 
teens or preteens, they ran up the path, and one young woman, I'd say she was 14, 15, sprinted along next to the bus for easily half a mile. Mm. And on the switchback, she even gained on us. And then she <laughs> stood waving vigorously, and so exalted. And I thought, you know, this is more than a symbol. I think this is the reality of the energy of a young person for, uh, you know, on a, on a worship day, and yet the excitement of, of a shared commitment to uh, having a faith, to sharing it, and to living the faith. Uh, you know, we cut young people short if we think that they can't have that idealism that's necessary to really make a difference in the world. And we were inspired by that. I think it was more than symbolic. There was this young woman. There were others with yes, her. Yes. While the numbers were not huge, I think, they're there ready to stand for their faith. And, and I just hope that us here in, in, a, in a place that's a little easier even than France. France is a free country, but it's a secular country. There are many inhibitions to practicing any faith, and certainly less than a mainline faith. But people persist. And uh, even in the United States, I think we, we need to show more gumption, more commitment to our faith, and realize that it was hard won. And uh, we shouldn't take it lightly, and we should sense that it's our duty before God, not something we can depend on others to provide for us. You know, I, I need to add something here, Lincoln, because I have, for the last few general conference sessions, I've been working with the youth department and putting on their, their youth on parade programs on the second Sabbath afternoon of the general conference sessions every five years. And it is amazing what young people can do with that energy, with that enthusiasm. They're idealistic. Idealistic, exactly. That, that idealistic fervor that they have. How do we nurture that? How do we old guys in the church nurture this, not only in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but in all of our churches? What are we supposed to do? Well, you can lead by example, and, and uh, I think back to that sermon. Not, you know, let's not ask why. Ask why not. Why That's not? what a young person thinks. Why not do this? Why shouldn't I? Yes. Don't put barriers in the way of them. I mean, we shouldn't hand the church or, or any uh, spiritual leadership to people who aren't ready. I think that, that's, that's presumptuous. But we should hold out great possibilities for young people, get them involved, let them use their idealism, and don't strangle it. And I, I think in the power of God, great things can happen. I love the story of this Marie Durand. I mean, she began as a young person in this very, very important cauldron of religion. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I need to conclude with, as far as the story of France, there was a sad episode. Not too many years before the French Revolution, there'd been up and down of, of the Huguenots or the Protestants in France, a very Catholic country. Uh -huh. There'd been the Edict of Toleration, but then uh, it all came to a vicious end with a, really a plot to get rid of Protestants all at once, and it's called the St. Bartholomew's Day's Massacre. Mm. And sometime around, I think it was 3 or 4 in the morning, the bells tolled all across Paris, and on prearranged signal they rose up and attempted to kill all the Protestants. Mm. Tens of thousands of people were killed that day and, and the weeks that followed, and it really reshaped the world because many of them fled to the United States where they uh, influenced the, uh, the culture, they fled to other countries that eviscerated the professional class because many of them were well-educated. Generally, Protestants in Canada were the, the elite, not always the ruling class, right, but the right. skilled class. Yeah. Their leader, Admiral Coligny, was close to the king. So it, it made a great political difference and eviscerated France. And directly, if those listening want to check with their history books, it led directly to the French Revolution, which was a, a horror for France. 
And then after that, with the rise of the poly, it was a horror for the world. Yes, it was. Yes. So religious intolerance and persecution in France had incredibly far-reaching and mostly negative consequences. How important it is, how important it is that we guard it. And part of Liberty Magazine's task is to guard it, to let us know. Absolutely. Remind people and encourage them. Oh, my. And listener, I invite you to the website, uh, www.libertymagazine.org, to remind and encourage. I like that. You can be reminded of what's been in the past and encouraged of what you can do in your local church, in your local community. You can start by sharing Liberty Magazine with the thought leaders in your community, Give it to those people who are who make these decisions. We need to guard this. It is such a precious, a precious gift. We need to guard religious liberty with everything we have because for centuries, as we found out from listening to Lincoln Steed here, for centuries, people guarded it with their lives, literally. Well, Lincoln, thank you so much for sharing these insights. We appreciate well, it. Thank pleasure. you. Pleasure. Pleasure to experience it and then to recount it. Oh, my. <laughs> And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.